Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the DGR Podcast. David here. Hope you're all doing well. This is episode number 51. I'm going to do a solo podcast for you today. I just checked. It's been probably over a month since I've recorded a solo podcast. So I'm feeling a little bit rusty. And it's actually been a few weeks since I've recorded any type of podcast because we've been away and we actually had a break. So we had non, no podcast released last week. And I think we're going to go to like a bi-weekly release for December, maybe for January as well. So every second week or so, because, yeah, I just feel like I need a little, take the foot off the pedal a little bit for the Christmas period. We just came back from workshop in Malmo with the guys in, um, I can't pronounce the the English version is Malmo Sports Clinic, I think, August and the guys there. So um, we had a great workshop and I feel like I'm on a little bit of a go slow since then. Um, my brain or my body, not my body, my brain is asking me to just chill out for a little while. So I think I'm going to take that advice and take my own brain's advice and uh, just chill for a few weeks. So I'm going to answer a few questions today, which are somewhere. Uh, one is asking about drop and catch variations, utility of them and where you might program them. One is asking about useful cues for change of direction work. And then one is like a tiny little business question that would take me about 30 seconds, I think, to answer. So that's what we're going to go over. I will give you, before I do that, I might give you a little bit of an update as to what we have been up to, even though I just kind of did. So I had started jujitsu. I had started uh, jujitsu with the guys down in Ganbaru Jiu-Jitsu in Waterford. And I had done, I think, four classes as advised by Chris, Coach Chris, who you've heard. And obviously, if you're in the member site, you know pretty well. So Chris is a black belt in Jiu-Jitsu. And he actually didn't like didn't push me towards it too hard, actually at all, over the last... Maybe I know Chris like two years now. And uh, he never really mentioned it to me, which I think... For example, if Chris was a CrossFit, a very good at CrossFit, like he would definitely have told me I should be doing CrossFit. If he was a yogi, he would definitely said you should be doing yoga. But um, he never really said that I should have been doing jujitsu. So when I mentioned it to him, then he was like, okay, I think it's a good idea. And uh, he recommended the guys down there. So I was going there and I did four, I think I did four classes and then my jujitsu career it looked like I was just going to be maybe one of the best ever. And my jiu-jitsu career was derailed very quickly because I actually got like a fluey kind of a thing. And maybe you probably heard it actually in a couple of the podcasts uh, or definitely in one of the podcasts I could hardly talk. And I, I presumed it was nice. It was the right etiquette to not slobber all over someone and give someone else a flu while you were down in jiu-jitsu because you do get quite intimate. So I haven't gone now in about three weeks and now I'm I think one of my goals for 2023 is like to get relatively good at jiu-jitsu. No, I, I, you know what? I don't even care. Like, it's not like, oh, I want to be good. I want to be better than whatever. I just want to dedicate my, myself to a craft like that for probably, probably a lot longer time than a year. But if we, I just take like a year goal, I'm going to, I'm going to work on that for a year and see how much better I can get and how my, how I can learn and what I can learn. I did hear like Mark Zuckerberg before has like year long things that he does. So it's not like, it's not like, okay, for the next few weeks, I'm going to try and do this or it's not an eight week transformation. It's 
he picks a goal every single year and he works on that for the year and he does it. He does it. And I know some of you might not like Duck, but you can take lessons from like someone who's created one of the most powerful companies in the history of the world where like when they say they're going to do something, they do it. And that is something, a lesson I think that we can learn. So I might, um, I'm considering like doing maybe a private lesson a week as well, just to accelerate things and just to get more reps in the tank and just see what happens when I get more reps in. So try to get to some classes and maybe see if I can do a private session as well once a week or twice a week or something like that. And it would be good. I tried to do that with, you heard me talk about golf before. I tried to do it with golf and I just didn't enjoy it as much as I would, as I, much as I wanted to enjoy it. Part of that is because I'm crap, but I don't also mind being crap at things like I've spent a lot of time being crap at a lot of things. So I don't, I don't mind that too much, to be honest. But something about golf is just like being crap also makes the sport much worse for you. Whereas I feel like something like jujitsu or something like that, there's a learning curve and actually being crap makes the sport in some ways it might make it better because you're learning new things all the time. But golf was just like, I'm fucking in the trees every 10 minutes here, every, every shot here. So, so yeah. And also, for someone who has played a lot of com- very competitive sports my entire life and like being a little bit aggressive and there's a bit of there's a bit of like I just like a little bit of dog in you. I like people that have a little bit of dog in them where they're just like, I'm going to do something. I'm just going to be a bit of a dog about this. I really like that. If you look at like if you look in the World Cup and you look at teams and some players have a bit of a dog in them, it's there's nothing better than watching someone. And I feel like you need to have a little bit of that in some of your hobbies, especially if you're not getting it in work, which I'm not. I'm not getting a whole lot of that in my in my work. So I feel like I need to just release a bit of an aggression sometimes. And I know jujitsu isn't necessarily the most aggressive sport ever, because like I think if you're if you're quite aggressive, maybe it seems like maybe you could like you don't want to it seems like you don't want to be emotional about things. And that's not what I mean about aggression, but there is a certain amount of like oomph to it so that's what i mean so that's my jiu-jitsu career <laughs> update um after four classes so i think that would be my one of my big things for next year and hopefully i can make it work where i can get less maybe some pro- i think private lessons that's kind of coming from my background playing football where i really only started to improve when i took took a bag of balls and just went down to the field every day on my own and spent 30 minutes 40 minutes 60 minutes kicking freeze again and again and again taking like I went down for probably six months in a row, probably five, five or six days a week for six months in a row. And I made more improvements in that six months than I did in my the previous 10 years of playing football and tra- training with a team. So I think you need reps in the, ta- in, in the tank. And I think in a class, you won't, you won't get as much good quality reps, at least as if you have like one-to-one instruction. So let's see if, let's see if my theory is right about that, but it doesn't sound like too much of a, a stretch to think about that. I had to psych myself up for this podcast. I have my intro song, which not not the song that you guys hear, but Unstoppable by Sia. That's the song. When I feel like I can't do something. This is so cringy now, but when I feel like, not when I feel like I can't do something, when I'm just like, I need to get in shape here. Or actually, almost exclusively for my podcast. I just put this, on podcast, this song on beforehand. So I love that song. So that's my um, pep talk song for myself. And uh, it's just a little bit of a ritual, ritual that I put on before the, the podcast. So that was Jiu-Jitsu, my pep talk song, which now I actually feel like I shouldn't have shared, but I'm a bit embarrassed by that. But anyway, 
what else? Uh, the Instagram follower thing, which I mentioned before. So I mentioned we we ran a 50k Instagram sale uh, when we hit 50k followers, and then I was I actually looked back and I said that it took us I think six months to go from 40k followers to 50k followers, and I set a goal personally. I don't think I mentioned on the podcast that I, I set a goal of reaching 60k followers before Black Friday. So. Uh, that gave us about six weeks, I think, to go from 50k followers to 60k followers. So it took six months to go from 40k to 50k, and I wanted to go from 50k to 60k in six in six weeks. And actually, now we're at 80k followers. So maybe it was seven weeks. So we went from 50k to 80k followers. So we got an extra 30k followers in eight weeks, rather than previous to that it was six months to get 10k followers. Now time will tell whether they were quality followers, anyone that would even consider, I would consider how I measure a quality follower is someone who would consider listening to this podcast. They're like, okay, I think I like what this guy is saying on Instagram. And actually, I think I might consider listening to him for 45 minutes or an hour on a podcast talking about movement and different things like that. So that's probably a good measure of a quality follower or someone that would come to a, obviously, no, I don't even want to say like monetize, like they come to a workshop. That's definitely a quality follower is someone who would dedicate their weekend and spend money but like even someone who would listen to this podcast i would consider someone who's who's on my on the same page as me about things i think so uh malmo was really good i have to give a shout out to felix who came it was a second time coming so he came to he flew over to ireland for when we taught our kind of members only workshop here i don't know when that was was that even this year it could have been this year it was probably this year and then he came to the one in Malmo as well. So big shout out to Felix there. Uh, legend of a man, legend of a trainer and really good guy, really smart guy as well. So he had some like, he kind of had some, he actually said, I met him in the hotel the night before and he said a funny thing, which was, are you, he asked me like, was I prepped for the workshop or whatever? And he said, he said, I don't even know what the workshop is on. I just saw that you were coming and I, I just booked in or whatever. So that really affirmed my feeling and my belief that like we're trying to find the right people to to teach and hang out with and learn from and learn with and blah blah blah. So I when he said that, I was like, this he's one of our people, like who would just say, Yeah, I'm there. I know I'll be able to learn something. I'm there. So uh shout out to Felix for that. Workshop got better, I think. It got better from the the last ones we ran were the American ones. So I think the Malmo one was better. And someone actually asked me, I guess I could a- answer this little question now, which is like, do you enjoy teaching the workshop or what are your emotions around it? Are you afraid? All that stuff. I love it. I'm so energized when I'm teaching. It is not difficult for me whatsoever while I'm teaching. And I could go on all day. Obviously, there's parts where some of the attendees feel trashed and like they're, they could be falling asleep in their chair, which is not necessarily a great sign. I don't want people to be doing that. But like there is parts where you're just it's an intense two days, like eight hours a day or whatever. So it's an intense day. So there is parts where you're like, oh, fuck, I'm zonked here. I don't get that feeling at all. I don't need to eat. Uh, I'm just running, running on adrenaline. I could just have a couple of coffees and zero food for the two days. I didn't have breakfast either day. I hardly had a lunch either day. So, yeah, just get energized before the workshop. I The night before or anything like that, I don't get I don't get particularly nervous. I'm very comfortable with the material that I'm te- that I'm teaching, so I don't get particularly nervous or anything like that. The one thing I would say is what it what 
I, I am a bit, I'm tr- still trying to figure out exactly how much detail we should go into on this stuff. And I re- I did realize after the Sweden one that like, you definitely should have been exposed to some of the work that I do before booking a ticket to, to the, to any workshop. Like you definitely should have done lower body basics, I would say. And it's definitely very helpful if you are a member as well. And I don't, I don't say that to be salesy. Most people listen to podcasts are members already. I just say that to it's it is the honest truth where I feel like the people who listen are the people who have done some of that stuff, not everything, but some of it, at least like they knew what they were coming to the workshop for and they got the details that they needed. Whereas I simplify things as much as possible in the workshop. Every workshop that I do, I feel like I need to like simplify something a little bit more, but like I feel like those people are really on the same page as me and they're they're going to learn a ton and, and everything I say is going to make sense to them are uh, most things I say. And even still, I feel like like there, I, this time in Amer- American ones, I didn't really put in a breathing section into it because it's a lower limb workshop that we're teaching. And in this Malmo one, I did put in like a mini breathing section, even if, we, if it was like 15 or 20 minutes where we went over that. And like, I'm still tying on the idea of should it be in there or should it not be in there? Because it is a lower limb workshop. But if you're being a clinician and you're being a good coach, like if you have someone with a hip issue and you see a rib cage that is so, so stiff, then how could you not go to that rib cage and try and get it to move as well? Like you should, you really should. Also, if someone's center of mass is so far forward, their ribs are up in the sky, then like, even some of the hamstring research that is coming out now is around the amount of pelvic tilt and how that might be a, or how that might be and is more of a risk factor for hamstring injuries. So I don't know if they failed to recognize it yet, or I just don't know if they don't have the evidence for it or if they're just not there yet. But what, in my mind, what they, a lot of those people that are talking about the pelvis and stuff they they're, they're not necessarily still are not at the point where the rib cage they see how much of a role that the the ribs have on what the pelvis is doing now I, I don't mean that to discredit anyone maybe maybe they are so yeah anyway maybe they are but like how could you not deal with the the rib cage and understand the influence that the thorax ha- has over everything else so i think the breathing little breathing section even if you don't pe- some people aren't fully on board with it i still think just get them ribs moving and let's progress on to all of the other parts of the workshop then so i I probably will keep that in but it does need to be a separate workshop which is like just rib cage and upper limb core rib cage and upper limb and then i might need to have a separate workshop as well which is just on the foot because we do do two hours probably of foot stuff and then everything we do like if you think about all of our squats our hinges our foot specific section our plyometric section that is all foot stuff they should all them skills should layer in on top of each other but some people want to get into the really 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 into detail and on the foot and you could spend easily a day or two days on that so i might need to have that but then again maybe that could just serve really well as a separate online course or something like that and then the people that come to the workshop just learn like some of the specific details that we're looking for when we're do- when we're queuing the exercises that we use to clean up feet. So yeah, that was all about the the workshop. I have some of these points written down: the Black Friday thing, the my BJJ career, and then the podcast episodes might go bi-weekly for the next month or two. We will see. So what else? So okay, let's answer some of these questions. So 
first question, I guess, if we talk about this, any useful cues for change of direction work? Okay, easy enough question, I think, to answer from my point of view, at least. And I'm going to kind of approach this where we could talk about cues for change of direction work, but the cues that you would give would be dependent on the person in front of you very much. So like you could have a million different cues and some of those cues might make someone worse at what they're doing, change the direction. And yeah, so some of the, so cues probably aren't the best way to think about it. Some of you could talk about like some of the things that you would like to see when someone changes direction. So dropping their center of mass and things like that. I'm going to, I'm just going to keep it a little bit more top level and say the number one thing that I would say to people, I, I can say athletes in this case, because it's athletes who are doing change of direction work is to keep the intent high. And anyone who's worked with me over the last few years, when we've gotten into change of direction drills or any speed work whatsoever, is you, they, will have, they will have heard me talk about intent to them. And this is a lesson that I learned playing, my, playing sport myself as well, where in the GA and Gaelic football and hurling, there's a lot of drills where like you're going around in a circle or a square or something like that, and you're hand-passing the ball or like they're like kicks at and it's you're moving at 50 or 60 percent and i just realized like how slow all of those drills were being done so i made a little pact with myself which i didn't always follow through on but i tried to make a pact with myself which is even if they're telling us okay lads just 60 70 percent blah 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 i was i i made a pact with myself to try and have that first step like off the cone or whatever to our first one to three steps to be as hard as I could. I, and then I'll just go at 50% after that or 60% or 70% or whatever they wanted, especially because the position that I played was more like in the full forward line where it's a lot of short trap runs. And it just, I felt like I could, it, I felt like a lot of players go first three steps, not hard. And then they sprint. And I felt like I could get away from literally any person that marked me if I just went as hard as possible for the first three steps, I felt like that when I was in my prime, I could get away from anyone and, and get to the ball first. And that's not because I was faster than them or anything, but because I knew what direction I wanted to go in. And I would just make sure that my first one, two, three steps were literally as hard as I could. And then you can play around with the speed of your running after that. So I think intent being really high to say, I'm going to do this as fast as I possibly can and far change the direction work. I think it works quite well to say, I want your first one to three steps when you come off. When So like, I'm going to hit the cone, I'm going to plant my right leg and I'm going to push off to the left. After you plant, I want the first one to three steps to be as hard as possible. Hard, like I don't mean like slam your foot or anything. I want you to try and go as fast as possible and push as fast as possible for the first one to three steps. And what you will see, especially in rehab in particular is, when people do their change of direction work, they come in, they decelerate, they push. And in those first few steps are slow. And then they will speed up after those first few steps. They won't have high intent. And I find that people will look at the change of direction then and say, okay, you're not dropping your center of mass and center of mass enough, or you're not hitting the specific angle that we want. And I actually feel like it's not the issue with the actual with with those things themselves it's the fact that they don't need to do that because their intent isn't high enough to push when they come out of there so for me if i see that someone isn't dropping someone isn't hitting the right angles 
I will just tell them, okay, for this rep, just one rep, do this for me. Do whatever you want on the way in. I don't don't change anything. I just want those first when you hit when your right foot hits that cone. I want you to push as hard as you can for the next three steps. Imagine that like that ball is there, or you can throw a ball or whatever, and just give me as much as you can and try and get there as fast as possible. And instantly, what you will see is they will hit better angles when they go into their cut. Uh, they might not decelerate as hard or whatever because they know. Okay, I'm being watched here. The cue is get out of there and push for three steps as hard as you can. So I think you can keep cueing the actual body angle and all of that stuff a lot. And you may need to do that with someone. You absolutely may need to do that with someone. But I would rather go to the intent of the drill first and say, okay, get from that point to this point as fast as you can. And from that point to this point, I have found that it's better to put that from the cut to the end of the drill rather than from the start of the drill to the cut. So if you can, if you can ask them to push as hard as you possibly can, just from the cut and out, then they will organize their body much, much better because they know they, if they're sloppy going into the cut, then they won't be at the, it'll take them much longer to build up. So I found that self-organization to, to work quite well for that. But, um, I'm sure others would disagree. And of course it depends on the person because some people might have a lot of intent and actually they're just really weak. And they can't actually, they're not strong enough to decelerate and accelerate or else they're just really poor in the frontal plane. Like they can't actually change direction. They're a fridge that just goes forward. So like those are, those are different issues. But even still, I think if you can keep the intent high, that's how you train it. And that might be how they get better alongside some specific, maybe frontal plane work. Like you might have seen me doing, um, on Instagram recently, like kind of a, a chop with the ball and stuff like that, helping people get into their hip a little bit better. Some people just really can't adduct into a side or abduct off a side. And then it, no matter what you do, it's just going to look sloppy if they just can't get there in the first place. So that's a different issue. But even if we were still practicing it, I would ask them to keep the intent high. So yeah, hopefully that answers that one in a semi-coherent way. Next one, can you explain the utility of drop and catch variations and where I might program them in season? And in brackets is hockey player. So I don't know anything about hockey. I don't even know what type of hockey that describes. Is that like regular hockey or ice hockey or whatever? Is Would an ice hockey player say I'm a hockey player? Or would they say I'm an ice hockey player? I don't know. But what I would say is for drop and catch variations, I wouldn't use them in season because they're trying to be a little bit specific to the sport or not even specific to the sport, but they're trying to train with a little bit of speed in the gym. And what you're actually getting from your sport already is you're getting speed in your sport particularly i think with a hockey hockey player it seems like there's a lot of dropping in and pushing out of there so that's that's what it seems like looking in from the outside and with regards to the drop and catch variations that you see me using i'm probably using them in rehab first of all remember that i'm probably using them in rehab i'm probably not using them a whole lot in with a with a healthy athlete who is in season and playing their sport very unlikely to see me using them then so what I'm doing, first of all, let's acknowledge what I'm using for rehab. Secondly, I'm probably using them for two specific reasons in re in the rehabby space. One might be mobility. So some people are really tight and putting them on the floor, lying down, breathing, or doing like hip rotations and all that stuff just doesn't work for them because there's not enough, there's not enough speed. Maybe there's not enough enough load involved where their tissues are going to get pulled apart a little bit. So some people need speed to help with their mobility. They need momentum to actually 
get a real true eccentric load through their muscles and that will open them up. So some people with really, really tight posterior capsule, glute max, all that stuff, you can set them up in like a Bulgarian split squat variation. And as long as they don't just extend their back, you need to cue that out of them if they do that, but they can actually drop and the Bulgarian split squat hinges them forward ever so slightly. And you can use a drop and catch variation and they will feel their glutes stretching quite intensely if they do it right. And that will really like a decent, a decently high volume and dosage of that will actually be very beneficial for the right person. So that's one person who might need it for not need it, but it might be useful for mobility work. The other type of person that might use it is, and this is, this is where I think the utility of them is best. Let's say that someone has an Achilles tendon issue or a shin splints issue, and they're not at the stage in their rehab process where they can use plyometrics or running or any type of impact work like that because their Achilles will flare up or their shin will flare up. The drop and catch variations will work really well for those type of people because you have to ask yourself. So if you take someone with an Achilles issue, what does their rehab usually look like? It looks like a lot of slow, heavy work for their Achilles tendon. And you'll see that if you if you look at their training in general, they will do that with all of their lower limb training. And now suddenly you've actually taken away speed, velocity, speed of movement, momentum from someone's training. But it wasn't someone's training that needed... It wasn't someone that needed to be... That stuff didn't need to be taken away from them altogether. That stuff just needed to be taken away from the Achilles itself. So the Achilles can't handle it. But does that mean I should rob the knee joint, the quads, the hamstrings, the glutes, the lower back, the ribs, all of that stuff, all of those muscles from the ability to stretch faster, from the ability to decelerate and accelerate more explosively, from the ability to, or the connective tissues, the ability to yield and overcome much faster? No, you definitely shouldn't take that away from all those other areas that can handle it just because one area can handle it. So what I would say is if you think about, again, we'll just take a Bulgarian like split squat drop and catch variation. You probably could do that very early in the rehab process for someone with an Achilles issue. And it's not going to hopefully won't flare up their Achilles unless it's maybe an insertional issue. But you can use that for someone with an Achilles issue most of the time. And they can get a nice drop and catch and bounce back out of it far. And and their knee joint can actually experience that. Their hips can experience that without the risk of flaring up the Achilles at the same time. So that's why I think the drop and catch variations are really good. It's not to slow people down in the rehab process. That's where people get confused. It's like, oh, you're just using that. You should use plyometrics. No, in fact, it's for someone who can't use plyometrics so why would I take away all kind of ballistic work from them just because one area isn't able to handle it? I'm not going to take it away. I'm going to keep it in for these areas. And then I'm going to build up the ability for the Achilles to manage that impact at the same time. And then I'm going to meet in the middle where now I can do my pogos. I can do my hopping. I can do my drop jumps. I can do all these variations and the Achilles can manage it, but I haven't waited until the hip and the knee can manage it, or I haven't waited until Achilles can manage it to use a little bit of momentum and a faster eccentric for the muscles around the knee and the hip. So that's why I use drop and catch variations. And that's why I think they're not necessarily particularly useful for a healthy athlete, unless you're going to use them for the mobility side of things, which 
is a good option. And I think you should consider thinking about how that could be useful for your athletes or your clients. But uh, that's where I would consider using them. And I wouldn't necessarily use them for like performance gains for athletes in season who are already being exposed to a lot of speed. Plus, what I will say is if you do them, let's say drop and catch variations, and you can use very heavy loads, by the way, with them. But if you do them for specific tissues, like let's say the hamstrings, you can make them incredibly sore. And that's not necessarily what you want to do with someone in season or someone who is trying to play their sport or compete or prepare for their sport at the same time. You don't want to make them really sore. And when you use speed and you use a fast stretch with a heavy load, that can be particularly nasty. So I wouldn't recommend doing that. So hopefully that makes sense for the drop and catch variations. If you look at my page, you'll see all different ones. And in the workshops that we teach, we teach a little section on that type of work, but it's put in a specific part. It's not just like, okay, it's not, they're not just drills for the sake of drills. You have to hopefully understand that, like, I just use this stuff with specific people at specific times to accelerate the rehab process, not to slow them down, not to be cautious, not to be fancy. It actually accelerates it and it also keeps loading areas with speed and with momentum that can still do that. They don't need to wait for the crappy area to catch up. Okay. And I will say one last thing on this. You can use differing intents, which are drop and catch variations, where you can use a very yieldy one where like you take your foot off the ground and gravity kind of you kind of drop down with gravity and then you kind of keep going with it once your foot hits the floor. So you've you've gathered that little bit of speed by taking your foot off the ground and then you kind of drop at the same speed as that and you bounce back out of it. So I would call that a very yielding biased variation. Or you can have a very overcoming one where you take your foot off the ground and you can choose when your foot is going to hit the floor. So like you can sink down a lot or you can catch it very early. But wherever you catch it, you're going to actually be really stiff and aggressive and hit the floor and bounce back out of it really quickly. So that is like we're biasing overcoming there. It is a lot stiffer. And actually, that's that might not be actually useful. Uh, sorry, not not useful. But for the Achilles, for example, that stiffness might not be something that the Achilles is able for, or the shin is able for at the moment. But it could be a bit closer to bridging the gap before your pogos or something like that. And then you also, of course, have your hinging drop and catch variations or variations where you're like pushing the hips back, but the knee isn't bending down into flexion. What would that be really nice for? That would be really nice for someone who needs to open up the back of their hip again and maybe restore some internal rotation. That's the mobility side of it. And then the other one, what would it be really nice for? It would be really nice if you have patellofemoral issues or patellar tendon issues and it's too sensitive to ballistic loads at the moment. So what will I do? Does that mean that my hip isn't allowed? That does, does that mean that my hip can't handle them faster speeds? Absolutely not. So I can do a hinge drop and catch variations, which can load the glutes quite aggressively and you'll get some adductors and all of that stuff as well. So you just have to think about where do I have to regress, but where else do I, do I not want to detrain? And can I give that some of what it is going to need in a few weeks time anyway? Uh, at the moment. So why would I detrain something? Basically, it all boils down to why would I detrain something that doesn't need to be detrained? All right. So that's drop and catch. And then I suppose the last one then before I jump on a call with Coach Chris for a few minutes is best way to make business improvements. This is a very vague question. Best way to make business improvements 
So I saw the question. I wasn't going to answer it because it was too vague. But then I said, actually, I'll use the vagueness and I'll just say like a, a, a very broad overview of best way to make business improvements is the best answer for this because it's such a vague question is I think being able to access smart and ambitious peers in your industry are people who are a little bit ahead of you are people who are at the same stage as you are people who are very far ahead of you i think that is the best way if we're just being like vague about it the best way is having access to smart people uh, that have similar goals or aspirations or have already done what you're trying to do and for example the reason i i wanted to use that for any for example and i want to kind of mention that i'm in a give a shout out to these people and mention that i'm in kind of a privileged position in some ways is that I spent, it was like a week ago or something like that. I had like a question in on my mind that are two questions on my mind, I think. And I just got the bit between my teeth. And I actually spoke in, in within 24 hours. I spoke to John Noonan, who's been a guest on this show. I spoke to Matt McInnes Watson, who's been a guest on the show. I spoke to Larry Doyle, who's been, will be a guest on the show soon. And I spoke to Ga- Jamie Smith, Gamey Smith. <laughs> Sorry, Jamie. Jamie Smith, who's been a guest on the show as well. So I I messaged all four of those and jumped on calls with all four of those, even just for five or 10 minutes, because I had a question that I needed to answer. And I just wanted to get each of their point of, points of view on it. And it was actually quite helpful for me. And even like half the time when I speak to people like that, or anyone speaks to people, they know, they kind of know their the answer in their own head already. But when you just have to say it out loud to someone and they're, they can ask you like if they're intelligent, smart people, good people that have your best, they want you to do well. Obviously, that's really important. You don't want to have people that secretly don't want you to do well. And that is that is evident in the industry as well. I've probably had people like that before uh, that secretly didn't probably want me to do as well as I wanted to do. But you want you want to make sure that they so they have your best intentions at heart. But like when you ask someone like that a question, they'll ask good questions back to you if they're the right people, and that will help you figure out things a lot. So John, Matt, Larry, and Jamie Smith, like when I, I, I at the end of the day, I was like, I just spoke to four really good people there who was who were helpful to me on those one or two questions that I had to answer, and um, yeah, it cleared it up in my head because it was annoying me. I was in my own head, and I was just like fucking what is the answer to this question? It's kind of a businessy type of thing. Like, where should I go or what direction should I go in? So, uh, so yeah, shout out to them. And I think the, my answer is access to smart, ambitious peers. And if you don't have that, I think you're going to be moving much slower and much more inefficiently. It's uh, yeah, much more inefficiently than you, than you probably need to. So I think that's the podcast for the day, a little bit around a roundup of podcast for the week or maybe for the two weeks a little bit around above of what we've been up to and what we're going to do with the podcast for the next little while which is probably bi-weekly but don't hold me to that because if i have some thoughts or whatever i might jump on so we'll see but i expect them to probably be bi-weekly and then yeah so in i think i've made a decision that in january i'm going to run like a follow-along program so i'm if any of you've been following maybe Dinny's progress, he was one of my ACL clients for the last year and he got back, he played his full season with his club and all that stuff. And then he had to get a little meniscus. He, he had a little operation on his, on his meniscus and he had to get a little bit of a clean out because when it, when the ACL first happened, he had a little tear there and the surgeon stitched it up, but it never actually healed. And that was kind of annoying him all year. It locked up a couple of times. So 
we were t- to and fro over over the year whether he should get it done or not, but he he managed to to get through without it. And it was a fear of ours that like after it locked up once or twice, it was a little bit of a fear of ours that he would like if that was painful, they would cause a little bit of inhibition in the in the quads or whatever, which it does, it does, and it just maybe delays the the reflexes or gets in the way of the reflexes. We don't really exactly know what's happening there necessarily, but the coordination and uh, the kind of neural networks or whatever the reflexes and just around that area might be just not quite as in tune as they should be. And you know, or we know with ACL injuries that like they happen in, in milliseconds, they happen. It's, it's not this big, huge, aggressive or not aggressive, but it's huge valgus moment necessarily where like, that's what you're seeing, but it's happening like before that it's happening when the foot hits the floor. And this is, this is a, maybe a bit of valgus and anterior tibia translation. And so based on what we know about it and how quickly that stuff happens, we know that like the reflexes are are so important. The co-contractions are so important to keep a knee safe. And we were a little bit concerned that that meniscus issue would get in the way and just cause that some of those reactions to slow down a little bit. And maybe even though he'd rehabbed his ACL really well, maybe because the meniscus was a little bit sore and sensitive, that would get in the way of what the muscles were doing. So he decided to get it cleaned out and um we are kind of we're doing a couple of weeks post-op with him now where he's just getting his range of motion back it, 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 it he didn't lose much at all it was a relatively small surgery and what we're going to be doing in january is i think starting from the first monday in january is getting back into a a uh, week by week program. I'm going to put it on train heroic or an app or one of the apps that I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. And I'm going to have, I'm going to call it like a run better program. Let's say I'm going to have people, maybe 50 spaces for people to jump on board and follow along week by week by week. And it's going to be a mix of like a lot of, a lot of plyos, uh, but it's going to build up over the weeks. Cause I imagine that a lot of people are going to be a lot of GA players. Some GA players might want to do it, but they're in their off season and they're going to use that. They haven't done a ton of training through December. So they're going to use January to build back up February to accelerate things a little bit more. And I'm going to use that. that I'm going to kind of use Dinny as the program. And I'm going to write a program for people who want to follow along at the same time. So like week one, let's say it's just a little bit of back into a small bit of plyos, back into a small bit of strength. Week two, we build it up. Week three, we build it up. Week four, we build it up. Week five, maybe I start to program some running. Six, some running. Seven, running. Eight, running. And then if we want to keep going from there, it's like sprints and change of direction and stuff like that going forward. So it'll either be like a two-month program, eight weeks, 10 weeks, or 12 weeks. We'll see. And we'll be progressing through a lot of plyos as the weeks go by. And yeah, so that's my that's my plan there. So if you're interested in starting that and having a accountability is probably a big thing and having a, a program on an app that you can follow along with, then that's what we're going to do. So yeah, that's what's coming. Probably that'll be that'll be starting in January. But I'll tell you a lot more about that. Maybe send me a message if you are interested, because I'd like to hear if people are interested. And yeah, that's the that's the plan for January. But I think for most of December, I'm going to just take it a little bit easier and chill out a little bit. So. So yeah, hopefully I will, hopefully enjoyed the podcast. Maybe, maybe not. And um, hopefully I didn't ramble too much. And I will chat to you guys probably just, let's just say on the, on the next episode. So hope you're all well and talk to you soon.